Hi, this is Caitlin McFarland. And this is Emily Gibson. And we're the co-executive directors of ATX Television Festival. And you're listening to the TV Campfire. This season, we'll be bringing you some of our favorite panels from past festivals, along with behind-the-scenes commentary and some of our fondest memories about putting it all together, while also giving you an inside look to what's happening with this year's virtual festival, which we're calling ATX TV From the Couch. It's like a flashback episode and a spoiler alert all rolled into one. So get back on the couch, pour yourself a drink, and enjoy talking TV together. Emily, did the storm keep you up last night? You know, it didn't only because by the time I went to bed, I was so tired that it, I just, I fell asleep very easily, but it was very cool and loud and ominous the few hours from when it started to when I went to bed that I was a little distracted by it. Um, Did you get the hail? People posted in my neighborhood Facebook group pictures of hail. I did not actually see any hail. It was so insane. So Evan and I went to go pick up Pool Burger, which I really enjoy a lot. Um, I'm not a vegetarian, but their veggie burger is delicious. We also got frozen hurricanes, which were just eh, if I'm being honest. Fair. All of that being said, literally got into the garage, got upstairs, and they weren't golf ball size but whatever half a golf ball is that amount of hail just like I mean it was still sunny it was still like 80 degrees outside and like hail just like came out of nowhere and then over the next that was at like 5 30 from 5 30 to when I went to bed at like 10 30 and then I woke up in the middle of the night to like some insane thunder I mean it was like a light show it was like nature's fireworks were happening outside of my house it was amazing once I fell asleep, zero things woke me up. But about, because I was planning on running yesterday evening. And then once it started at 5, 530, I was like, well, that's that's out the window. Um, and I kept checking to see if there was going to be a break. And there wasn't, there wasn't, there wasn't. And then about 9, 930, my neighbor, who we do a lot of orders together, had gotten our Target delivery. So I went next door to get that from her. And I was like, oh, it's cool out here. I could go running right now. And then I realized everyone would be so mad at me if I went running in the dark by myself at nine or nine 30. And so I decided not to. I don't know. Your neighborhood is like very well lit and wide roads and very suburban and is not near any kind of any thing. I mean, it's still a fine decision if that's what you wanted to do, but I feel like it's, it's a very well lit place. No. No, it's, it's, I mean, it is, there are streetlights obviously, but it's not like super well lit. You know, I'm not a out in the dark by myself type of person. That is true. (laughs) It it is obvious. You, you led with everyone would be mad at you. Maybe some people would have been mad at you. I wouldn't have been mad at you, but if it is a thing that like my neighborhood, if I went running in the dark, like there's like a homeless, like encampment up the road. Not that that means they're dangerous, but like I would encounter a lot of people out and about if I ran. Is there a time that you think is too late? Like if it was like 11 PM and I wanted to go running, would you think that was a bad idea? I don't know about bad idea. Like, okay. It's just asking. 
the place I would run is, uh, I'm not a runner, so actually I wouldn't, but the trail around my condo that is inside the gate, it's yeah. a third of a mile. I've done that at like 10 or 11 o'clock at night. By yourself or with Dexter? With Dexter. Yeah. See, I think if I had a dog, it would be different. Maybe I'll just borrow Dexter next time. Well, anyway, I feel like we've done this one into the ground. <laughs> and it, the, the, the rainstorms themselves were pretty magical. And we've gotten a few of them lately. And I really enjoy a Texas rainstorm, thunderstorm, lightning show. And made me, this is the transition, made me think this morning, normally when it's been raining a lot, I start worrying about looking at the weather forecast for the festival and it doesn't matter. The only part that matters is my, my power did go off like in and out last night and it took everything, everything to boot back up. And so I sort of thought like, Oh, that would have been a problem. But then I felt good about the fact that the guys running our live stream are in a different location than us. So even if we go down the likelihood that they go down. And so I just started feeling really pretty fine about not worrying about the weather, which is usually a good 10 or 15% of my brain worry every year. And then I try to let it go knowing it doesn't matter because I can't stop it. (laughs) Well, it does. I mean, I feel like there've been a number of years of past years, especially, I feel like it was Gilmore Girls year where we had these huge storms for what, two, three weeks leading into the festival. And people were asking if we were going to cancel because of the rainstorms and how crazy well, it, was, it was supposed to be. It was oh, flooding. Yeah. It was the Memorial Day weekend flood and it had been raining for two weeks. It was national news that Texas and Austin was flooding. Like people were getting swept away. That was a crazy. So anyway, weather's not an issue. And just so everyone knows, it is, we are recording this on Memorial Day. Emily and I have not celebrated a Memorial Day as a real holiday off of work in nine years. This is no exception. So it's 12 days until the festival as of this recording, but Friday will be one week, seven days. Yep. Yep. Deep breath. Uh, (laughs) I have heard that in quarantine times and stress, belly breathing helps your sympathetic nervous system. I heard it on a podcast this morning. I'm just regurgitating (laughs) I like it. I'm going to try it. It is funny when I was driving into the office this morning and saw people out in my neighborhood, out and about walking around. This time of year is always the strangest because this is when my friends and family and people with kids, this is when their summers start. So they go into full summer mode. I was FaceTiming with one of my best friends last night who this is like their first weekend of summer. And she was basically (laughs) wondering what they were going to do all summer because things are still pretty much going to be shut down. And her son can play a little bit of baseball under some strict regulations, but she was like, it's summer and now we're just going to be bored all summer. And the fact that we are never bored at this time of year. And it's so weird watching people, you know, who are starting to just hang out and relax and twiddle their thumbs and watch TV and do all that kind of stuff. And even, I didn't think it was going to be the same since we've all been in quarantine these past two months, but it did feel different this morning when I was driving in. I was going to say, that's the thing that I'm curious about, because given that the summer is starting, but like, I've heard different people having this conversation about like, what do you get to do this summer? So I can go to Disney World, like getting on planes is not really a thing most people are doing. So I have seen like the lake houses and the river houses, like down by New Braunfels, Evan's brother was looking into them because he was like, we can drive there with our family, rent a house and be on the river. Like that feels safe, but like they're all 
sold out. Like everybody had this idea. Like So whether it's like West Texas or lake and river life is a big part of Texas culture, that will be a hard thing to be socially distant, I believe. Now. Oh, yeah. My family is still planning on going to Colorado at the end of July where we stay in a cabin and we're outdoors mainly and hiking the trails. I mean, the trails are not wide, but you don't pass a ton of people on the trails. So we're still planning on it. Hopefully it works out because those two weeks in Colorado hiking in the mountains are our favorite. So fingers crossed. Yeah. I feel like that's a, I mean, everybody, you and I have said this a lot this week, the last few months, no judgment as everybody tries to figure it out. As long as you're acknowledging it exists. (laughs) Yes. There's no judgment from me (laughs) and you know, how things open and and what we do and masks and all the things. But I, I do feel pretty strongly that if you are with your family and, or significant others doing road trips where when you get out to get gas, you're safe and you got the disinfectant and the gloves and the mask and all the things you don't touch things or whatnot. And you're going to someplace particularly like Evan and I are talking about going to West Texas for his birthday and staying in the trailers that Emily and I have stayed in before, but like, you know, it's a self-contained unit. I think the capacity there is like 20 or something like that. Like it's very small. (laughs) Nobody's in this town anyway. Everything's closed on a regular basis. Um, But it's just an interesting thing. Like I'm very curious to see what summer is, but you're absolutely right. Like that is still happening in quarantine. That transition is happening and we are still where we always are at this time, which is final countdown, working on Memorial (laughs) Day, uh, like all of that. Bottom line is I feel that we are in such a bubble these few weeks anyway, that people, my friends and such that are starting to venture a little bit out into the world in a very respectful and very, you know, watching out for each other way. I'm like, I'm not going to worry about that for two more weeks, two more weeks. Don't, I don't even have a desire to go to a restaurant. I don't have a desire to go do anything for the next two weeks. We are at a sprint to the finish line. So we'll see what happens after that. And we have to start making decisions about re-entering the world. But right now, not even a question. I think that's it. I've I've had a lot of grateful moments the last couple of months, like as we all deal with all of these feelings, call it quarantine or isolation or lockdown or whatever the correct terms are that are respectful. But I have been very grateful. One, that we have a thing to do that is very much, I feel like it is something that is stressing us out, but also filling us up. And it is fun and interesting and different. But like, we have a focal point. It's not like we're just like, oh my God, everything has stopped. I don't know what to do. And then on top of it, I now don't have to decide the exact same thing as you. Like, I'm not going to break out of any type of lockdown until post-festival. So the only places I've gone are liquor store and grocery stores. Like that is it. <laughs> yep. And I usually pick things up for you. Yep. I haven't even been to a grocery store or liquor store, but I've been plenty well stocked. Thank you very I much. I feel like it's a public service and, uh, you know, I'm grateful for a number of things with ATX TV from the couch. And some of it is just, there's a focal point. Now what comes on June 8th? I really don't know. Don't know. But I normally don't know what happens after that. So it's all very familiar. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Speaking of the festival, we have a few updates. We did an announcement last Friday, but by the time this comes out, another big announcement will be uh, a partnership with HBO, which we, it's funny, I I wrote the quote for the, the release and I was like, we were not shocked by but we're extremely like moved and surprised. Like it was not an expected thing to get this type of support from HBO, but it is not 
shocking or surprising because they were there since the very first year and have come on in, in very big ways from being actual support partners in the festival as well as providing programming. And so last week we announced Perry Mason was going to be opening night. We've now released panelists that are going along with it. So we've got Matthew Reese, the star and producer of the show. And ATX alum. ATX alum. I'm not going to lie. I kind of hope Carrie Russell wanders around behind him. (laughs) I figure during this time, you know, you got cats and kids and dogs and whatever that like Carrie Russell has come to the festival for the Americans and Felicity. And I think she should just like wave from behind him. So we've got Matthew Reese. We've got Tatiana Maslany confirmed. Mm, yes, um, we do. Which is very exciting. Uh, John Lithgow also feels like television royalty, uh, along with Shay Wiggum, who was in Boardwalk Empire and a number of other things, and Susan Downey, who is the producer. She got the rights. I'm very excited. I really, I am very sad she's not physically at the festival either. So we're going to have yeah. to... You know, they are joining uh, Roland Jones and Ron Fitzgerald, the creators, executive producers. And Roland Jones comes from Friday Night Lights world. Full circle. There you go. But along with opening night, HBO is also doing a Room 104 panel with Mark Duplass and directors from this season. I just finished from last week, you telling me about to listen to Brene Brown's Duplass Brothers episode. Yes. And so I'm very excited for this. On top of which, I can talk about this in the watch list. This morning, I started a rewatch of Togetherness. And I love it. And <laughs> I'm just, you guys, that show was underrated. And you should all watch some more of it. I only watched a little bit of it. But that it's <sighs> a pretty big emotional journey, right? Like, it's pretty intense emotionally, right? Yeah, but it's also funny and it it is a lot about what they talk about in the episode, the podcast episode that you mentioned, that their vulnerability and all of them, they all get to be like extremely vulnerable. It's funny is I just watched, I think like episode three and there's a scene with Mark Duplass and Steve Zissis that they're at a party and it's basically that conversation in the podcast (laughs) between Mark and Jay saying that they can't small talk with each other at parties and they can't really like watch each other do it. Like Steve and Mark have that exact same conversation. So that's clearly where it came. That's amazing. So we've got that. We've also got a first look at the docu-series I'll Be Gone in the Dark, which is based on the Golden State Killer, which is very cool because one of the filmmakers, Liz Garbus, directed our closing night, our very first closing night ever, season two of the festival. She did it virtually. She was a giant floating head up on the Paramount screen. So she's virtually attending again, which I find hilarious. And then we'll have Robin Thede, the showrunner of Black Lady Sketch Show, on our showrunner State of the Union panel, which is very exciting. And then lastly, we'll have a first look at a series that premieres on June 7th on HBO called I May Destroy You with Michaela Cole, that I'm very interested by this show. Oh, this show looks, talk about gut-wrenching shows. This one looks right along the lines of that. Everybody go Google the trailer for that because it's pretty, I do think it will be an emotional an emotional situation. Um, but anyway, uh, along with a lot of other programming, this week we also are releasing the schedule so people can, they can go to everything because there's no choices to be made. Yes, there's no they lines. can. There's no lines to stand in. You know, my big job at the moment is making sure everything fits in the schedule. So I've been doing a lot of how much programming do we have? How many hours are we going to be on? How is this all going to work and fit 
and run into the next. And, you know, it's fun. It's something that I love doing. We are running out of time to do it in the way that I want to do it. So by the time this comes out, hopefully it will be, I'm going to say 99% set, maybe 93% set. Especially the major longer pieces of programming. It's more the interstitials, the surprises, the bonus, the scheduling, like all of that kind of thing. I feel like I want to tell people, so I just am going to, that in the interstitials, you don't know when, but you're going to get a daily check-in, TV check-in pillow talk with Leslie Jordan. I love it. We sent him an ATX pillow, and I'm just very excited about it because if he became such a popular thing on Instagram during quarantine, he would have been somebody we would want to have at the festival regardless. And he's just, you cannot watch him talk and not smile. So I'm very excited for our daily TV check-ins, pillow talks with Leslie Jordan. Yeah. And I've been doing a lot of these one-on-one conversations that are going to be spread out throughout the three days. A lot of showrunners with number one on the call sheets and shorter form conversations that we're just going to sprinkle throughout that you don't know when they're going to happen. And that's kind of fun. Surprises. So more to come. Definitely make sure you've registered on Eventbrite. It is free. I'll keep telling you that. It is free. Uh, It will be on YouTube. It is very easy to find, very easy to watch. But if you register and share it, that would be very helpful. And you'll get up-to-date information, including grocery lists. We've got to like hunker down, you guys. We've got to get well-stocked with the food and the drink because you know we're all about the food and the drink as we transition into (laughs) our quarantine food check-in. Which you and I had Elizabeth Street Cafe on Friday for the first time uh, in quarantine. It is very delicious. It travels very well. And I maintain that their shrimp spring rolls are like the best ones I've ever had. It did. I was, I mean, not surprised by how well it traveled, but it, it held up. And having not had it in a number of months now, it definitely hit all the spots. Yeah. I'm surprised you liked the spicy stuff as much as you did. I mean... It's not my preference, but I I went through it. The Singapore noodles are spicy, and I have a very low spice tolerance, but they didn't ruin me. And that was the only – I didn't eat that cucumber mango salad. That was too much. That was all you. I ate it all. It was so good. But I do, weirdly enough, this is a very strange thing to have be your favorite. Their blueberry jasmine green tea is, like, just my favorite. But that was really kind of like it for the weekend. I didn't do takeout on Saturday, but I did use the buttermilk that I made last week when I made butter. Guys, I made butter. Uh, <laughs> it's really not such that a homemaker. <laughs> but I used the buttermilk to make buttermilk biscuits. That felt correct. And I brought you some. And they were delicious. I ate the last one this morning with butter and honey and. Now I would like for you to make more. If you could make me bread every weekend just for the foreseeable future, I think that this partnership could last for a really long time. I will. Well, I hope so at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. Uh, I will say stipulation on it. What if I was like, this is how it's going to last for another 10 years to come. I will say, obviously I love bread. I mean, like you go to restaurants, you get the bread on the table. It is something I limit so much in my normal life. Like I don't buy bread because I like bread too much and like, you know, addictions, all the things. So it's hilarious. I have upped my bread intake a thousand percent. (laughs) (laughs) 
you know what? I am benefiting from that. So great. Just keep it going. It helps to share with you and Evan. I cannot imagine if I was left alone with my loaf of bread. You'd just find me with like crumbs. (laughs) You are welcome. And then what we're watching, I already mentioned togetherness. I'm starting it. You guys, if you missed it, Emily, it is their half hour episodes. I like a good half hour. They're great. I also, I'm still watching Schitt's Creek and I, some, I tried, I needed a mindless kind of reality show. Everybody freaked out for Love is Blind like a month or two ago. Yep. Yep. I don't get it. I don't understand why. Like usually I can understand why. I don't, I don't. I've watched three or four and I watch reality shows, like not a ton, but I mean, I feel like you should try the circle. I mean, they're totally different shows, but I enjoyed watching the circle so much. Again, this was at the beginning of quarantine. This was uh, as I like needed something completely different than anything I would watch. I don't watch reality TV and uh, some of my friends very much pressured me into watching the show. And I mean, I was up at three in the morning one night watching this show. I just like couldn't stop. Okay. I'll watch it. The one that I uh, dove in deep this weekend was called Selling Sunset, which it's season two came out, which explains why it was on the front of my list because I did not go looking for it. It is produced by Adam DeVello, though, who does Laguna, Laguna Beach. That's right, right? Yeah. Laguna Beach, the hills, the city. So it kind of like looks that way. It gets a little dramatic in season two. The people are really leaning into their roles as reality stars. But the properties, real estate, because they're basically the concept is that it's a group, a real estate group in West Hollywood, Los Angeles. And so it's about the girls that work there, but they are also showing these amazing homes to people. And Oh my gosh. Like I wanted so many, like, it's just fun to see inside people's houses. It was like if a HGTV real estate show met Laguna beach, (laughs) that's what this show is. You know, that does sound pretty entertaining. Chances are I'm never going to watch this show, but the thing about reality shows, which I feel like you did discover when you had to live with me for those few months is I love people telling me about them. Like, I love, like, tell me what's happening. Tell me about these people. Tell me the storylines. I'm not going to sit and watch it, but I love hearing, like, the drama about it. So I could listen to people talk to me about reality shows and all the things that happen, but I'm not going to watch them. It's funny because it's, like, almost there. Like, it makes sense. It's almost like somebody telling you gossip. Like, these are real people and these things happen. So, like, here's the story. But you don't have the base knowledge of who they are. So it's interesting to even care about that level. But I will say the peak drama when it happened in the show, which was like the finale of season one, Evan came in and he was like, doesn't this just like make your blood pressure go up? Like they're just yelling at each other. <laughs> and it's, so and I was like, yeah, if it goes on too long, it does make me uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> it's fair. It's fair. The good thing is you can just mute them. You can mute them, fast forward, whatnot. What are you watching? Well, I'm still watching my rotation which is Buffy, Orphan Black, The Bull Type, Shits Creek, just over and over and over again. But then I decided to add in this week, Queer as Folk, 
because I wanted, I've been wanting to rewatch it for a while. And I just, I have ADD right now when it comes to TV, even though when I'm watching the episode of whatever I'm watching, I am like sitting down and actually watching it, but I can't decide what I'm in the mood for. So I just, well, I, I went to Showtime to log on to watch it and whatever Showtime account that I had been logged into was no longer working. And at that point I was like, well, what am I going to do? Who am I going to text? Who's going to give me their Showtime login? Like right now. And, and then, then I remember, do you remember? <laughs> I own all the DVDs, which is even better because all the DVDs actually have the original music that I don't know, even on Showtime, if it's on. So I pulled out those DVDs, put them in the Blu-ray player and am now eight episodes into season one. Good job. I know. I just, it's funny rewatching Claire's Folk and rewatching Buffy, which I've by far watched the most times, although Schitt's Creek is very quickly sneaking up on that. How much I remember, even though it's been a number of years, how familiar these characters and these storylines are. The one thing I will say about both Buffy and Claire's Folk though, are the central relationships in both of them. Buffy is 16 when this starts, Angel is, you know, he's like 250. I was going to say, he's undead. Yeah, but he's got to be, I mean. 30s? Late 20s. Well, maybe not that old. Late 20s, which first couple times you watch it, you just love Buffy and Angel. But now watching it, the amount of times she says, but I'm only 16, but I'm only 16. And talking about the fate of the world, you're like, hmm, this maybe inappropriate for a number of reasons. And then Queer as Folk, which I did know when I watched it, but when it starts, Justin is 17, Brian is 29. They do talk a lot about how inappropriate that relationship is, but I'm just like, yeah, this is, this is a problem, but I still love these shows. But, um, but one of the reasons that I really wanted to watch it is because I know I talked about this a while ago, but watching the Queer as Folk reunion that they did for charity a few weeks ago, hosted by Scott Lowell and Scott was lovely enough to talk to me for about an hour two weeks ago and kind of walk me through what he did and how he did it and all the reunions. So I had been watching different parts of it again, just to like see what he did and putting together his live event. And so I was like, now I just really want to watch the show. They showed enough clips and enough pictures that I'm like, just, just lean in, just do it. So I'm just keeping my rotation going. I get you on the ADD part though. Like I can't, that's part of the reason I went reality was I was like, I need something on, but I'm not paying attention to this. So it either has to be so familiar that like you don't have to pay attention or something that you don't care if you kind of like lose 12 minutes of it or whatever. Evan put on Avengers Endgame last night and I told him when it started, I didn't want to watch it because it's so sad. And then <laughs> I found myself sitting there watching, guys, spoiler alert, but it came out like a year ago, Iron Man the end of Iron Man. And I started sobbing again. I sobbed oh, in no. the theater and I did it again. And I was just like, I told you this is not why I didn't want to watch this. <laughs> I can't it do is. this. Yep. 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 No, I, at all these shows, I find myself tearing up at different parts that I know are coming. And I will say, and this is just you and I watch TV differently, but I definitely in putting these on, Whenever I put on an episode, I am sitting down and letting myself escape for that hour into the episode. So I am watching it full attention. I think the reason that it has to be a rewatch right now, though, is because since I know it's going to happen next, there's no there's no emotional thing that I'm not ready for. And I don't have to immediately go into the next episode because I know what happens. The eight episodes you watched, you were actually watching those eight episodes? Yep. yep. Wow. Maybe it's maybe it was seven. 
That's impressive that you're getting a lot done. I will say the other rotation paused for a bit. And then I just watched those episodes over, you know, four or five days. And now, now the rotating is happening. Well, I'm sure there will be more of that next week. Next week will be our last, well, we'll see. There may be an additional one, but obviously the festival is happening a week from the release of this. So we will have one more. We're going to release it on Thursday the 4th, June 4th, the day before the festival. So be sure to check that out. But as we go into today's release, today's release is BFFs Creating Friendships on TV. And it is from season six, so 2017. I very much remember you coming up with this panel. This is a panel of yours. My favorite things to do when we get probably a month, maybe three weeks out from the festival. And we have, I was going to say two, two Two weeks. weeks. Okay. I was like, not two months, two (laughs) weeks. Yeah. Well, we're just a few weeks out and we realize, which hasn't happened in the past couple of years, definitely not happening this year, but we realize we have a couple spaces for two to three more panels. And so we want to come up with really fun topics. So I basically just get to look at our panelist list and pick random panelist, see how I can join them together and come up with a topic for them. And they're usually lighthearted and fun. They can still go deep, but those are my favorite things to do. And this was the result of one of those. It is. And I thought it was really cool because from that year, we had some amazing people that could represent this. That was the year that we got Jessica St. Clair and Lynn and Parham there for Playing House, which they obviously play best friends on the show, but they're kind of best friends in real life. And Mara Braca Keel was there uh, representing a lot of different shows, but Girlfriends is a big show of hers. So she obviously represented a lot of friendships there. Jen Caton Robinson created Sweet Vicious, which has a very interesting friendship on it, as well as Kevin Falls, who did Franklin and Bash and really didn't want to be on this panel, but did it because we love him. The thing I like about it is I feel like people think about a lot of relationships on TV, like whether it's parent and child or siblings or love interests. And there are a lot of friendships represented on TV for sure, but I don't know how much people talk about creating those friendships and what goes into it and how that is not forced and the chemistry that has to be in those people too, not just love interests. Like you have to believe that these people are friends. And so it was, it was just a fun way to have a light panel that's still about something, not just like fluff. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And I do think, I mean, even rewatching the bull type right now, those three girls that they've nailed that friendship. And then watching all these other shows that also are about a group of people, there's something, there's something different when you see the relationships, the friendships being the central theme of a show, which very much girlfriends and uh, playing house. I even feel like sweet vicious, like that definitely that relationship, obviously Franklin and bash when that friendship is a central theme is very cool. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, my main memory of this panel really was, and I'm sorry to say this because I know it didn't happen for you, but was meeting Jessica and Lennon because we wanted them at the festival for so long. We're kind of obsessed with them. We got Lennon to come back a couple of years later and moderate the Felicity reunion, which was amazing, but we're just kind of like sidelines obsessed with the two of them. And so getting to meet them in the green room, they were getting their hair done. So I was only talking to one of them at a time, like when one was getting hair and makeup that they'd switch, but they kept switching back and forth and both talking to me, which was very entertaining and sweet. And they were just lovely. And I was glad it happened. 
Well, I want to set that up by saying every year leading into the festival, as we're preparing, we all make a list of the top five-ish people that we really want to meet, whether we're fans mm-hmm. of, whether, you know, whatever reason, like these are the five people we really want to meet. And Jessica and Lennon were at the top of all of our lists. And not only did I not meet them the four days of the festival, I didn't even see them. Like they came and went and I missed the entire thing and was, I'm not going to say devastated because it was a great festival and many great things happened. And I mean, Jen Kate Robinson for one, like she's amazing and got to know her a little bit, but yeah, they just disappeared and never saw them. I do think in a way that does not replace it because you didn't know either, but that was the same year that I have the best picture of you and Andrea Savage. (laughs) because Andrea Savage came for I'm sorry and was hanging out in the green room for a while. And I don't remember what prompted it, but I have this picture of her hugging you around the waist and basically (laughs) curled up in your lap. And I was like, see, this is your best friends. (laughs) I don't know why or how. I will say the funny part is we always make that list going in. And usually we get to meet those people. We try and make a point, but it's always the unexpected people that you end up really having great moments with. That you don't even know. Best friends. So how do you become best friends at the festival? We're going to figure it out. We do have our, what do we call it? BFF or bust list was what it was called (laughs) at one point. It's never become that just so everyone is aware. Like we don't become friends with them, but there are people that surprise you. And it is always just like a fun list to mainly be invested and excited about our panelists, which we genuinely are, but it's sometimes easy to forget them as individuals because you've just got 200 people to take care of and you can get very into the logistics and the operations of it. And so we as a group like to remind ourselves that we're fans, that we're excited. Who are we excited about? Last year, Kevin Bacon was on everyone's list. He really delivered just guys. He just overly delivered. I think that's why we make that list. It's not to be like, oh, we're going to be best friends. It's to be like, oh, we're really excited about a person or five people, like whatever they are. Who would be on your list for this year? Do you know? I just put you on the spot. Didn't know it was coming. I mean, there's a few people we've talked a little bit, like Timothy Oliphant is very exciting. Tatiana Maslany is very exciting. Yep. She's top of mind. The two people we've said I mean, we would be set. We would want them all to physically be at the festival. But like Susan Downey, I usually put like producers on mine that year. Uh, the same year that BFFs came out, Stacey Schur came with Sweet Vicious and I was obsessed. Yeah, those would all be there. But I mean, the one that I will be so excited about is Justin Thoreau and Ann Dowd. Ann Dowd has come to the festival before for The Leftovers. I watched The Leftovers during quarantine and in watching all three seasons back to back, Patty and Kevin, their characters are, I mean, they're both just amazing. And I really, I almost want to rewatch the leftovers again right now. Like I just so loved the rewatch, but there are such amazing scenes between Patty and Kevin that, and out and Justin Thoreau, who I've also become obsessed watching him give his dog full on formal <laughs> meals um, during quarantine that like, I will be really sad if he's not at the festival. Although if he was at the physical festival, I don't think Kuma could come. His dog. Oh, true. So true statement. I might, you know, trade those two. I think those are excellent choices. 
with that, we will leave you to listen to BFFs Creating Friendships on TV. And it is moderated by Jarrett Weisselman, who at the time was at BuzzFeed. Enjoy. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Wow, that was so loud. I'm so sorry. This is also not my microphone. Things are going great already. How are, how are you guys doing? Excellent. Thank you so much. It's such a beautiful audience. I'm very excited about this panel uh, because, you know, here's the thing. Friends are the family you choose, right? These are the people we have in our lives, not for biology, but because we want them there. And no medium, frankly, is more equipped to tell these stories than television. You can have eight episodes, 12 episodes, 22 episodes. You get to live with these people in a way that I think film and the theater really doesn't afford, frankly. And so, you know, I think you have to think about what these people are without one another. What is Buffy without Willow? What is Lorelai without Rory? What is Leslie without Ron? You know, these are the people <laughs> that make our lives better. And frankly, the five people we have coming out have written some of my favorite friendships on television. So please help me welcome Jennifer Caitlin Robinson, who created Sweet Vicious. Oh, so good. I know, it's a slightly awkward, we're, gonna, we're all gonna stare at you while you navigate this chair. We're gonna have everyone enter from here. Yes, you come right next to me, Jennifer. Next, please guys, give it up for Mara Brock Akeel, creator of Girlfriend, The Game, Being Mary Jane. I'm gonna say, yes, I'm gonna recommend an entry from up here. Excellent. Next, we have two women whose comedy is unsurpassed, best friends, IRL, on screen, Jennifer St. Clair and Lennon Parham. Thank you, all right. And last but not least, guys, please keep it going for the wonderful Kevin Falls. All right. Welcome everyone, thank you so much for being here today and now we're all best friends and we have a locket we'll share. Um, I wanna start by asking all of you this question. Who are some of your favorite best friend characters on television that you have not written? Jennifer, I'll start with you. You said three of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, Seth Cohen and Ryan Atwood. You're playing to the crowd real well at this festival, by the way, just from the jump. What was it about their friendship that really struck you? Well, what's funny is as I was kind of making Sweet Vicious, I went back and rewatched The O.C. And I was like, oh, I did this friendship because Jules is Ryan Atwood and Ophelia is Seth Cohen. <laughs> I was like, I just made these people women. <laughs> so they're better now. That's right. <laughs> 
Just when I thought I couldn't love Sweet Vicious anymore. It's just an OC retelling. Uh, Mara, what about you? Oh my gosh. Oh, I wasn't ready for these kind of questions right <laughs> off the bat. But, and, and then I, then I don't want to age myself. Um, I guess the gray hair already did that. But in, um, I, I really loved a different world. I remember just... And, and the various types of friendships, that there were, you know, the pairings between the ladies, and then, of course, you know, the romantic relationship that was also, but it was rooted in a friendship. And so I, that mix, I can eat that up all day. So different world, I mean, and all the, you know, the forehander, the golden girls, I mean, come on, designing women, like all of those sort of, they, the, 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 the um, the chatter, the pattern, the rhythm, the, uh, the safety, the, all of those that, this is jazz hands. That's, that's, okay. <laughs> and that's what's fun to me, just yeah. the, um, the honesty and the, the knowing and the shorthand and trying to get that language and that rhythm and that honesty right, I think has, has also sort of resonated with me and I think why I do what I do. Absolutely. Lennon? <laughs> Honesty resonating. I like that. Um, Laverne and Shirley. I mean, oh, we, we just, we, oh, yeah. we're, we will date ourselves as well, but um, there is an episode that we watched on repeat uh, called Betty, Pl well, we call it Betty Please. It's where the, they go to work in a diner. <laughs> and then Laverne, Shirley is the waitress. And Laverne is the chef. Is the chef, but she the short keeps, order cook. She keeps going over the loudspeaker, going, "Betty, please pick up for Betty." <laughs> and finally, this season, we worked me doing, you know, paging somebody over a loudspeaker like that. But literally, you must Google this because it's insane. It's um, amazing. She like just throws a whole chicken on a pan. I don't know. Like, there's something so beautiful about the simplicity of like just two women getting themselves into some insane scrape. By you know? accident, I googled ourselves, and I found by a very accident. unkind. How does, how does that by happen by accident? accident. I'm just there was an unkind article written in which the woman's like. And it was a woman. She goes, and how dare they? They're both the same. And, that's, said, and they no, shouldn't be the most. She goes, it's like watching Laverne and the other Laverne. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's how we got, that's what and I call I said, her now. And I I'm said, like, come on, other Laverne. I was in the like, car. Like, nobody wants to be Shirley. Who doesn't want to watch two Lavernes, right? Double L all the time. Laverne and I mean, she Laverne. had a straight-up L on every shirt she wore. She did. And a cat with an L, right? Didn't she have a stuffed cat? I'm sure she did. Or a stuffed and her cat love pillow? interest was that amazing Italian guy who's oh just God, like, pizzeria. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's just like everything. Also, Google the episode where they, they <laughs> submit themselves to medical testing. One of oh, them yeah. surely has to stay up all night. No, or Laverne, Shirley doesn't eat, and Laverne has to stay up all night, and then they yeah. go to a mixer. It was all to raise money. So that they could go on a, so they could go to a singles mixer to meet the man of their dreams. But oh, my God. Kind of we come into a writer's room, and I'm just like, okay, we We're, do this, like, some stupid scrape. Like, we end yeah, up yeah. dancing with drag queens, and then we figure out how and why. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Kevin, what about you? Favorite friendships? I think I'm on the wrong panel. <laughs> Kevin. 
I woke up this morning and I talked to Caitlin and Am. I go, are you sure about this one? Um, I could just sit and watch you guys. It's Friends, Sopranos, and The Wire. <laughs> Can't go wrong. Next question. <laughs> I, I kind of think about show running or creating something as a puzzle. Well, the show running part, the putting the planning part, the execution part. So then I was like, oh, wait, Golden Brooks. She read for, she actually read for Tony's role. I was like, no, 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 bring her back in for mine. And so I did start hearing, God, my hands, I just discovered something about myself. <laughs> but anyway, that's kind of how I put it together. I, I started to hear it. So it is a chemistry thing, but it's also a chemistry about the piece. And so I guess I, um, in my other life, I was a jazz band director. <laughs> I, was, I was Duke Ellington. How about that? Um, but anyway, it was, so I do think that that chemistry was there. And I think even, so then in the process that was fun, when you put it, when you put it up on its feet and you know what it's supposed to be, it does take the massaging of the writers to find, to help them find the voice that they can deliver for the chemistry. And, and, but that was built that's built in the process of the acting that I always appreciated and loved, how they were finding these moments and, and the trust and the back and forth. And I always love when, the, when we go to run-throughs, which seems less and less in, in, in television these days, but uh, when we would do the run-throughs and then we, the writers would come back and I could feel the energy of the writers jazzed. And so they knew how, sort of what notes to play to help those moments. And then it just sort of takes on a life of its own. And, um, but you still got to keep your eye on it because you also don't want it to go stale. Right. And, you know, the, anyway, that's my comment on chemistry. <laughs> we kind of do it backwards because we came from improv. So when we write, we can't, it terrifies us to sit in front of a blank screen. So we act it out, we record ourselves. And that's how we capture the way that we like finish each other's sentences, but we also cast everyone. All every almost everyone on our show is someone that we already know and have performed with for years, and we've written the part <clears throat> with them in mind. Yeah, and then so, we just hope they're available. True, truly, it's and true. then they come, and then they can make it their own too. But it's already sort of in their voice ahead of time, and we already know how we play with them. So it's like, yeah, everyone it just at makes the- it really. <clears throat> way easier for us because we know, you know, we're not sort of like looking for a diamond in the rough almost. At the UCB, the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater where we learned how to be comedians, there's like a concept of like the game. What is the game of the scene? And that's basically like what's the unique thing in this, that the odd thing in this scene that makes it funny. And each, and actually two performers have a game too. So Lennon and I are always playing the game of Maggie and Emma, but it's really just how Lennon and I are. You know, I mean, I'm walking around like I'm, I'm drunk. I mean, I don't know where, if it went for Lennon, I would have never arrived here. She's just like. <laughs> That's all true. Yeah. <laughs> what can I say? So like when we have somebody on who's like, like Rob Riggle, his game was always the guy who played um, somebody, uh, anyway, a woodworker who's. <laughs> An oversex woodwork. T- work, that, woodwork he's been doing that houses. bit for since we were 21. Yeah. yeah. You know, what's interesting, Kevin, I want to ask you, because I think there's also an expectation with the title of a show sometimes. I mean, something you saw probably with Girlfriends, something you guys probably saw with Best Friends Forever, which yeah. you probably also saw on Franklin and Bash. I mean, do you feel like there's a extra impetus and sort of expectation on a friendship when it's literally the title of your show? Uh, yes, for sure. Um, I was thinking what you guys were saying. I don't know if you guys, I'm sure you do it, especially the improv 
people is that you start with it on the page, right? And then you, you get to cast your actors and then they bring something that gets it to the next level. And if they trust the script, which they clearly do because you guys are great writers, then they start to go, well, can I do this here? Can I, can I now like improvise? Or how about this line? And for what was great about Mark, Paul, and Brecken is that they were um, very respectful of what was on the page. So a lot of their improv would be around, along, the ev- along the edges, but always would, would serve a story. But yeah, when you have the title characters, and it was a two-hander, that was the only two-hander I think I've ever done. Yeah. But I've had other shows where the chemistry was just as important. Yeah. Um, but it was weird to have a chemistry read between two men. Yeah. And, and you're looking, for, and we did that, and Mark, Paul, and Brecken didn't know each other. And we had the chemistry read, but you're looking for the same things you'd be doing with a woman and a man. You, it's, it's something about them that you, you kind of need them to fall in love with each other. And they, they did it very well. So it made it a lot easier to write for the title Absolutely. characters. What's interesting, Jen, you know, that you had to contend with with Sweet Vicious, which I don't think anyone else did on this panel, is your best friends are not best friends in the pilot. We watch them really come together. Yes. I mean, how difficult is it to show the origins of a friendship? I think it's, it's all, it's just about the chemistry. I mean, in the, the audition scenes that the girls had to do, they read... The scene, for anyone that has seen the show, they, uh, there's a scene in um, a basement where they are not friends. Um, Jules, the character who is a vigilante, um, and Ophelia, the character, this kind of weed dealer that has been just stalking her and trying to unmask her, uh, comes to a party and Jules takes her downstairs and puts a knife to her throat and is like, get out of here. Um, and then there's also a scene at the end of the pilot where they come together after they murder someone. Um, uh, and then, y- y'all went to college. You know what our that's friends like. do. Yeah. So it's um, We've all been there. Yeah. <laughs> We've all been there. Listen. Shit, I straight up murdered that person. Yeah. Can you help <laughs> me out? If you haven't murdered someone with your best friend, are they your best friend? Um, uh, and that's when you really see them come together. And we read a lot of young women, a lot, a lot, a lot. And there was something that I I found and I thought was really interesting was they were all mean. They were being mean to each other. And in building that friendship and in building a friendship that doesn't start as best friends, it's like, they're not mean. They just don't know each other. They're not mean. And I, to me, I kind of stepped back and I was like, well, what are we putting out there for young girls that every young actress coming in here thinks she has to be a bitch to the other one? And so that was really interesting to me. Um, but these two women, Taylor Dearden and Eliza Bennett, the minute they tested together, it was like, oh, there's the show. And until that moment, I thought I was a bad writer. I thought the show sucked. I was like, this is not going to go anywhere. This is terrible. Because until you find the anchor that kind of like puts the boat in place, it's just all over the place. Um, so that was something that was so important. And I think in building a friendship that doesn't start as cemented best friends, it's finding the love beneath not knowing each other mm-hmm. and that chemistry beneath that, which they, which I mean, they have in spades and we got very lucky finding them. Absolutely. It's a sort of a challenge that the two of you don't really face as much because you write for yourselves and you've yeah. put yourselves in these positions to be the best friends on we screen. Can't, we can't you do saying? anything else. <laughs> no. That's it. I'm saying I'm this so This is glad. it. We this is our contribution. <laughs> That's not true. 
There's nothing we else. We are on other people's shows, and we're also funny on those. I don't, there's nothing else here. That's Peel not it back, true. the onion, then you'll get more onion. Here's, <laughs> it's true. Yeah, but other cool parts of the onion, like a sweeter part, right? <laughs> Like the sweet, That's soft sweet. center. No. Come on, man. I wanna, you know, it's interesting. When, um, when I did Girlfriends, it was I wanted to explore the layers of friendship that I didn't feel was always hitting the mark. And if I'm being quite honest, Girlfriends was almost like a documentary. Like, hey, black girls are friends, too, because Sex and the City was like the hot thing. And I wanted to... And then we kept being called the black sex in the city. But my, my take on it was that Joan and Tony were actually carrying big. If you really go back and look at their whole relationship, they're carrying big. And the question is, which is why I think it's a little heartbreaking not to have had the ending, is because Jill Marie Jones, in a business setting, really did leave the show. And it actually, to me, only helped. We just didn't get that ending. Where the game, which was interesting when we did the spinoff of that, none of the women were friends. And so when I realized, I was like, well, what kind of friendship am I talking about here? And it really was about a sorority that uh, um, in the spirit of this, everyone's coming to this friendship for, a, I mean, they're coming to this, they're, they're together because of football. Mm-hmm. They're not, they wouldn't, that's the only interest that they have, but it's very high stakes. So the friendship can fall apart at any point. The money's bad or the, you know, football is not right. And so that was a lot of fun once I sort of like, you know, in that sense, you're like, yeah, spin off business. Let's do this. Yeah, that'd be fun. Football, friends. It'll be just girlfriends with football. But really, you have to, you, I did have to figure that part out so that there was a difference. So it is fun finding friendships. And the Wendy Raquel Robinson role, Tasha Mack, and Brittany Daniel, Kelly, um, Kelly Pitts. What I love about their friendship is it was built upon race and it was built upon bashing each other. It was built upon not liking each other because of the positions on the team. It was built, I'm not to like you, you know, and it was one of the, and I just knew if I had enough time, I think people would love that and that anchored relationship almost more than the obvious sort of Tia Maori's character who two black women liking each other, you know, and, and but also, it was that was a lot of fun to explore the age difference, the you know the like-mindedness, and um, using race that I think America and television is so afraid of to show. If you just talk about it, even in the the bad stuff, you actually will create great intimacy and friendship. For sure, I mean I love the idea, you know, the foundation that these friendships are predicated on across the board. But I'm actually curious for. Jennifer and Lennon, I mean, your real life friendship, what was that predicated upon? When did you two fall in friend love with one another? <laughs> well, what was kind of interesting is we, we became best friends while writing about being best friends. Because when we, so Lennon came out to LA and we knew each other at the UCB because we were, there were not that many women there. Um, there weren't at the time. There are a lot more now. Yeah, there are a lot now, but there was like a handful. We didn't so there was like together. one woman on each team, kind of, you right. know. And we would look longingly at each other, but never get to touch. <laughs> yeah. And so then, then she moved out to LA, and you know, and, and I started to stalk her, as somebody as one does. Yeah. If you set your sights on somebody, we touch to all the time friend. now. Just yeah. FYI. <laughs> That's the truth. Um, she but, literally sits on top of me when we're writing. Yep. Like when we get, she can't that's be. Right. She needs to be touching me, and that's I'm right. typing, and she's just like going, "Go up, go up," and I'm like, 
back off, man. Yeah, yeah, poor thing. Um, <laughs> but but uh, we started writing together, and we wrote our first series, BFF, and we were, but we we weren't we weren't as close. I mean, now we live inside of each other's bodies. It's like just a weird way too to say close. it. <laughs> It's too close, you know? It's like, the, it's like the movie Face Off, which I never saw. It's not at all like that. It's not at all like that. Right? Doesn't no. he, like, peel no, no, no. somebody's face off and wear it as their own and then, like, see life through their eyes? That's what I feel like Lennon and I are. Ish, ish. No. You're, you're, you're close. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds terrifying. It's in the world but, of that. But no, so, but we so did. Through, we, the, we, through the process of being work wife and yeah. we became close but then I go and get fucking cancer and I'm like wait spoiler alert <laughs> a spoiler alert and this one she's good she's all right now. I'm all right but I get the call and I text Lennon I have cancer <laughs> which is and I'm not like, a text you want and I'm like where are you she, no she, you text it's cancer it's cancer and I said then, where are you and she's like I'm good and I'm like bitch where are you <laughs> So I was like, I'm going to the doctor, but please don't put yourself out. I was like, like, don't come. I'm fine. What? You're fine. So then I show up. You know, the rest is history. But like when you go through something like that, then it takes, it keeps, I mean, friendship, it is when you're writing for, especially female friendships, I feel like it is very romantic. Mm -hmm. You do fall in love with each other and then you get pissed off because this thing happened or they weren't listening about this or they weren't seeing to your needs or touching you enough or whatever. And then... It's never and enough. Then you, you make up and you go to Baja Fresh or wherever. You know. Always getting a shrimp taco. <laughs> Probably gave me cancer. And then it gets deep. <laughs> Just kidding. JK, I love that place. JK, I said. I said JK. But oh it my goes, God. But that's not going to fit in the quote. Yeah, but here's the deal. <laughs> It goes in cycles. So you get deeper and then you kind of need a break sometimes and then you come back I never to each need other. A break, but all right. She doesn't need a break. I need a break. Let's be honest. You don't ever stop moving. Nope. Um, you know, you got to take care of yourself. Do you, do you guys have lesbian fan fiction? I think I, I wish. I've, yeah. I've written no, a I, Google yeah. Jared, Jared uh, No, this is book. something I'm new to and we had a lot of it for Sweet Vicious and oh, a lot yes. of people on the internet who yelled at me and they were like, just make them make them love each other. Like, why won't they? Like, we're gonna stop watching your show. And I was like, oh god. I was, <laughs> yeah. So I, as you talk about like female friendships and and being close and the romantic. Yeah. Well, when you're portraying a woman as close as she is to another woman without it being physical, you know, I mean, it it does like people who haven't had that relationship. They, they want you to understand. make out yeah. because yeah. they're like, how can you be that intimate with someone and then not go F, you know? Yeah, right. And it's like, well, that, that I conversation. I had made out with Lennon once in BFF. Not I had really. to show her what a kiss was, whether it was like a friendship kiss or was this. And her lips. I changed my mind. This is a great panel. <laughs> like the underside of a baby chick it's so soft and I so sexual right and I said whoa and Lennon you said don't fall in love with me it's dangerous yeah it's not appropriate I'm just laughing because literally on my list my next question was asking the two of you what friend boundaries you've had to set for one another (laughs) 
And it's very clear that those don't exist. Lennon picked. They do exist. Lennon they straight have up to picked exist. my boobs. And I just told, talked about this, so it's boring if okay, anyone's it is heard boring. this. They're going to see it also in episode five. Come she on, She picked my implants. I had to pick what felt most like my boobs, and they gave me a suitcase of boobs, and Lennon and my husband came over, and I didn't know what they felt like, and then my husband poked the side of it, and I said, get the fuck out of here. And then I said, Lennon, get in here. And she, she just felt each through each one and then said it's number two. Why does she know my own boobs more than my own? I, I just don't know. literally felt them moments before. It's not like I'm but always it was like getting a up sense in your memory. Rack. I know, but I felt like it was more of a sense it memory wasn't a for you. Sense memory. Yes, it was. No, it wasn't. That's your dream. That's your dream. There are boundaries in every healthy friendship. I mean, what, what would they you say not, yours they are? They may not be the boundaries that we, uh, we other people have. <laughs> but, like, she's not allowed to call me or text me after 10 p.m. unless it's an emergency. Okay. Whatever. Because, again, she never stops breathing. You know, she never stops moving and texting and, and buying, you know, nude swimsuits. So, there, you know, you have... There, there, it's like, okay, this is mine. This is yours. We have to have some separation. We have our own husbands. We have our own homes. <laughs> We live far, you know, about as far away in L.A. as you can live from each other. Um, we meet in the middle to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And on the weekends. We don't work on and the weekends. And our ch- children are best friends. Our little girls. That's true. So next generation cute. of playing oh, yeah. house. Um, I wanna, we're going to open it up to audience questions in a minute, but I want to ask each of you this. And Kevin, I'll start with you. I mean, what is it that as a writer you enjoy writing about friendships? Wow, you know, it's, there's so much pressure, depending on the show, to serve us a story each week. You guys, we have to always like get a story area in, have to get an outline in. So I kind of put that front and center. If you have really strong characters, you have a way in to, to, to telling the story. But um, that's, a, that's, a, that's a tricky question um, and that I don't have an answer for, so let's just throw it back to these guys. No, no, no. But, that, but it actually, uh, uh, and we're gonna loop back around to this, but I wanna ask, I mean, do you find that when you have a show that is not about a friendship but has a friendship prominent in it that you have to set rules for that friendship like they can't ever become too adversarial they always have to have one another's backs or are those sort of the fun shades you get to play with the friendships uh yes absolutely and um you know it's funny that i'm going to go way back to like west wing which somebody (laughs) won So I was just going to bust that out because you guys are killing. <laughs> if you just I, listed your IMDb, the room would go saw, nuts, Kevin, just so you know. I'm like Steph Curry from 45 feet now, just throwing, launching people. Um, go Warriors. Um, somebody once said about the, the West Wing is that, and it was somebody in Washington back in the heyday of the show, uh, that said really all of the West Wing was was the Brady Bunch because at the end they would all bicker, but they'd all be friends at the end. There was never like a cliffhanger where somebody was cheating on somebody. Yeah. So that was, that, that's the, the story that jumped to mind, the show that jumped to mind where there was rules. Mm-hmm. Like Aaron just made sure that everybody like stayed in their lanes. You could have your conflict and we all need that. And, but at the end of the day, these people love each other and they love their country. And so that was, that's the only rule that comes to mind. But there's, there's rules that, you know, especially if you create it that you impart to a writer's room where you kind of go, they wouldn't do that. And sometimes you can't even say why, except for you just know. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, that must happen for you guys a lot because the characters are so close to you yeah. that you must have a, I can't tell you why, but like that would just would not happen. Yeah. Yeah, and we have... Microphone. We have a writer's room that's been with us for a little while, so like it took the first season maybe where we were sort of figuring that out, and now when we come into the room and we, we've you know, been working on a draft or improvising, they make it better. They're like, what if this happened? And we'd be like, yes, that's amazing. So that's been a dream, because it used to just only live it here, and it felt like a lot of pressure on us to get that out and to keep getting better. But now that we've been working with these amazing, this amazing team whom which we could not do it uh, without, it's... It's so it's so nice. We we also often like reference iconic scenes of like like we've we've brought up the Carrie and Miranda then don't you go to Paris with him mm-hmm. fight like so many times because it's like yes they're fighting but it's because they love each other so much but yet that is a real breaking point for them you know uh, or when she calls home from Paris and she sees the girlfriend I mean that's so we'll we'll constantly draw in like really wonderful moments that because we all consume best friend TV mm-hmm. and movies as much as we possibly can at all times. Yeah. Bridget Jones diary. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mar, I want to ask oh. you because, you know, you have done really interesting things with the friendships you've portrayed on screen. I mean, girlfriends, yes, as you were saying yeah. was a comedy, but like there was also a lot of drama in there and the relationships on being married. Jane were also extremely, rooted in, I think what they're talking about, yeah. sort of like the, I'm mad at you because I love you so much. Right. What about that angle of friendships interests you in writing? Well, I, you know, it's interesting. I, I think this will play to that part of the mm-hmm. question as well. I was thinking about the friendship. I do enjoy stretching. And with girlfriends, I stretch with an affair. Like, you know, Tony tried to sleep with Joan's man. And I, I remember... I remember the network asked for something salacious. I remember them saying, we need something big for the end of the first season. And I was like, I was like, I can't just have, you know, I remember, like, you know, like a fight. I was like, this is before reality television, by the way, where women are fighting all the time, especially black women are fighting all the time. I was like, I'm not putting that image out there. Like, just because you need ratings or this becomes... But I sat with it. I remember saying, could I do that? It's funny. I think the writer in me looks for the challenge. If I could really believe, yes, people do have fights, but do I want to put it on TV and leave it on TV, leave it in that bottle for people to revisit over and over again, examine, get into their psyche, their DNA, whatever that is. I'm like, but I figured out how to do it in a way that I wanted to do it. And, and And it actually turned out to be a really great start to a second season and the exploration of the links that, and it was funny, and at the core of that love, Tony was so afraid of Joan getting what she wanted because if she got what she wanted, why would she want her? Mm. And that really was the, the underneath. And then the fun part was how do you get them back together? Then I also got to do something I wanted to do on television, which is explore faith. And and other things that are part of our lives that typically don't get to live in TV very long or for very, for, in a very impactful way. With Being Mary Jane, I wanted to stretch it further because it's my first sort of swing at just being in a drama that I can talk about the things I want to talk about. And I took that friendship, what is it like being the friend 
to someone who has mental illness. And we took it all the way to suicide. Yeah. And it was sort of like, um, I was scared, but that's like, I think then that's where I should be living if I'm scared. And it, it helped me to really try to figure it out. And I think the impact that it had, just my IG you know, alone, the Twitter alone, the emails I got, the letters we got, that it created a space on television for people to sort of enter into that space and be okay to maybe even have that conversation or let out about their demons or whatever those sort of things were. And so I think it's imperative, I think, in these relationships that are really most meaningful to us, love relationship, friend relationships, family, and all these relationships, they can have dynamics of lover, friend, blah, blah, blah. But I think, I think if we're doing it right, we are keep digging, you know what I'm saying? Where, where does our capacity to love and accept each other and the range of that exist? And I think maybe if we do that right, maybe we could do that, maybe just, you know, this is, you know, then maybe that could sort of spread out into the psyche of us as human beings and the way we treat each other and live. Yeah, I mean, I'm totally hearing what you're saying too, because I think the difference between watching friends go through something and watching romantic partners go through something, traditional romantic partners go through something, is you relate to the friendship struggle so much. And Jennifer, I would imagine this is something you saw with Sweet Vicious, because, I mean, first of all, that was such an urgent show, and it had two lead characters who were engaged in a conversation that we need to be having more, and we need to be having louder, and we need to be having on more television shows. And I, you know, like what Mara is saying, the reaction to the way the audience sort of metabolized Jules and Ophelia's quest to fix this campus had to be incredibly heartening for, for you. It was, it was insane. It was so incredible. And it brought together, the show brought together a community of yeah. people that I felt lucky to be a part of. Um, because it, it, there were so many people that didn't feel alone or felt seen or people that didn't understand what was going on that now understood it, people that had a friend that went that, that was sexually assaulted that couldn't relate to it, watched the show and could. Parents were watching it with their children. Um, and I, as we were making it, I was really scared. Um, I was really scared. I was like, if this doesn't work and if people feel like I'm trying to exploit their story or take their story and put it on screen for my gain, I... I would be, I mean, I would crumble. I would feel so terrible. Um, so the way that people embraced the show and, 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 you know, the community of survivors that felt seen because of the show was everything to me. It was everything I, I ever could have wanted. And it was important to us as we were making it, um, like Mara was saying, is, you know, there were things that the network wanted or things that we could have done where the women, and not just Jules and Ophelia, but all of the women, the women in the sorority, they, we never wanted it to come from a mean place because I think that the idea that women have to be mean to each other starts young and is perpetuated on television a lot. And I think if you're a young woman and all you watch is women, is the cool girl is the mean girl and she's super pretty and she looks a certain way and she is this way, that's what you believe and that bleeds into you growing up and that bleeds into who you become as a person. And I think that if, I, I think... I'm so proud to be on a stage with all of these people who, I mean, the West Wing, like, uh, oh my God. <laughs> like, I mean, it was you watch, all me. Yeah. 
Aaron Sorkin did nothing. He just typed. He did nothing. He did nothing. Um, But I think that, you know, female and male friendship, I think that it's all, I think if we can, if everything can come from a place of love and a place of, I don't, I don't understand you, but I would like to. And that's something we always tried to do on the show and, and was really important to us on the show. Uh, I, I do think we can we can push conversations forward. Absolutely. Um, one of my favorite things about ATX is the people who attend it are some of the smartest television fans that I've ever met. So I'm just going to open this up to you guys now because I'm sure your questions are better than mine. So just raise your hand if you have a question. And yeah, why don't we start right here? Uh, was there a mic situation that needs to happen? I got you. I got you. This is like Donahue. Um, Old school. <laughs> Uh, this is actually just more for Jen specifically, but Defying Gravity scene was just like, that was the moment I was like, this is a different show. This understands female friendship and like the intricacies of it and like how you can, you know, not know somebody that well and, and just in the nature of being a woman, you can build this connection over just kind of the silliest thing. So I was wondering how that came about. Was it in the original script before you shot? Like... How did you choose a song? <laughs> I, so I was, it was, I think I, I had like two days before I had to turn in the pilot script to MTV, like locked pilot script to be in contention for the pilot to be made. And I was driving down Sunset Boulevard and I just had my iPhone or pod or whatever it was at the time, I don't know, on shuffle and Defying Gravity came on and I was like, oh my God, what if this came on with a dead body in the trunk. <laughs> and, then, and then I was really listening to the words and I was like, oh, this is everything that these women are going through separately. And if we can see that in this moment and we can see that they both feel this way, completely separate from each other for completely different reasons, but that they have this together. And then if they're singing this with a dead body in the trunk, I was like, this feels right to me. So I called, I called the head of scripted at MTV. I like didn't call the producer. So I was like, I don't want anyone to say like, I want to just, I'm just going to do this. So I called the head of scripted at MTV. I was like, hi. I was like, uh, I have like a, a scene that I'd like to add. And she's like, okay, what is it? And I was like, um, when they are driving to the bar with the dead guy, like what if they sang a song? And she's like, like they sang a song. And I was like, yeah. And she's like, what's the song? I was like, Define Gravity. And she was like, you know what? We can try it. <laughs> um, and it ended up being like the, the I mean, my favorite moment probably in the series. And uh, it was the moment when we shot the pilot, when we were on that process trailer, it was like four in the morning and these girls, yeah. <laughs> and these girls were just belting their hearts out. And I was like, oh, this is, this is the show. This is the show. That, I felt that. I saw it. Remember TV campers, this year, due to the pandemic, ATX Festival season nine is going virtual, June 5th through 7th, 2020. It's ATX TV from the couch. For information about the status of the festival, go to atxfestival.com or follow us on social media at ATX Festival. Now, back to the panel. Hi, I'm Megan Rosen, and I have a question for Kevin. Um, I was wondering if you could... (laughs) Sorry, yes. I was wondering if you could speak to the difference, if any, between... um, 
heterosexual male-female friendships, and such as on pitch and that element of sexual tension that often arises. Yes, right. Um, compared to something like Franklin and Bash, where you've got heterosexual male-male. You know, and like I said before, there is, there is a similarity between Mark Palmbreck and, by the way, who also kissed <laughs> on, on that show. Um, it's, it's very similar. It has to, almost has to be in some ways. It's, it's un, unrequited. Um, I think when it really clicks, at least between two men. With uh, Mark Paul and Kylie on pitch, from the get-go, we wanted that to be the case mm -hmm. because you wanted that to be underlying their relationship. Right. But and we're talking about rules earlier. That was one where we 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 didn't want to cross the line. I don't know if people watched the show, but there was when we got yeah, to the I ninth the episode like, where ah. you kind of walk, you're walking very close. But we always, at one point, Dan Fulgeman, who co-created the show, wanted them to kiss. And as the season, and that was very early on, as the season progressed, everybody thought, you know, this is this is going to feel like a bad idea. And so we didn't. Well, they um, had that like moment where you're there, yeah, like, the brush, uh, right? Psych. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. and did it add an extra layer, given that she's in a man's world yes. and her kind of putting on masculine energy at times? Wait, what, that, do, what do you mean by that? Well, just in, uh, did it complicate the layer of a friendship in that she had the added element of being the only woman in yeah. this space? Yes. I mean, she had to, her whole thing was, I want to fit in, mm -hmm. right? But I think in one of the episodes, at some point, we all acknowledged the seventh or eighth episode, one of the, the teammates say, has anybody noticed she's gorgeous? <laughs> and we didn't, we didn't want to run away from that, but we wanted, that was actually great. The fact that we earned that she wanted to fit in, that she was never flirty, made her in some way that much more desirable because you respected that, and it mm -hmm. kind of broke, Paul, broke down Mark Paul's character. That's very interesting. Thank yeah. you. But, but thank you. Thank you for the question. I'll pay you later. Oh. <laughs> Hi, my name is Mark, and this question's for Jen about Sweet Vicious. Um, I actually got a, um, a hold of the original pilot script from a friend, and it was called Little Darlings, correct? Well, there are a lot of original pilot scripts. How it did was, it start? Um... <laughs> Is she running on campus, or did you I, yes. get the original original? I think I think it's she's running on campus because okay. it had just been announced <laughs> that it was picked up when I had got it. Yes, but um, just having that context, um, I'm really fascinated to know since there were a lot of iterations of the script. You know, how did their relationship evolve? And I don't know if you'll be continuing the show in some capacity and like a different medium because I know it's no longer on MTV. Um, R.I.P. I know, R.I.P. How, how, what was your five-year goal for their relationship? I don't want to spoil anything, though. Um, I mean, let's do it. Uh, <laughs> um, so the original, the reason that you read that version is because I wrote an hour spec pilot. The girls were 25, 26, and it flashed into their origin, origin story in college. MTV bought the show. They said, we just want college. Make it a half hour. So I turned an hour into a half hour. We shot a half hour pilot and they were like, make it an hour. <laughs> um, so what you read, the original half hour pilot starts with Ophelia dead ending into Jules in the alleyway. And I remember when I watched the first director's cut 
I called the producer hysterically crying because I was like, I have no idea what just happened in that show. Everything is happening too fast. So it, there wasn't necessarily like, it, it wasn't a different show. There wasn't a lot of differences, but I was able to build who they were separately before I brought them together. And I think that was really, really, really important. And um, I, I think it helped the show in spades. Uh, and then in terms of the five-year plan, uh, I always knew how I wanted to end the show. Um, and I also purposely ended this first season in a way where Jules's story you got closure there because I was like, who knows? Um, I was right. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, I think for Jules and Ophelia, that show would have evolved with everything that's happening in the world. So although I do know how I wanted it to end and I'll say how I wanted it to end. I wanted it to end with Jewel, Ophelia going down for everything to give Jules the life that was taken away from her. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, they are best friends. Um, and if I continue it, it is something that like I would build to and I would want to get to, but that's like down the line years and years and years. Um, uh, I don't, but yeah, that that's it. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, I like that. Thank you. Uh, so this is for Jessica and Lennon, my best friend and I. Yeah. I was, no, no, no. <laughs> we haven't murdered anyone yet. But so my question is this: so we've been friends for a long time, um, but then you hit your forties and shit gets crazy and sadness happens. Her husband has stage four cancer. My mom has Alzheimer's and passed away. We have kids, we work, we have husbands. You have all this stuff going on. And your husbands are great and all, but they're not, <laughs> they don't say the right thing sometimes or when, you know, they, they can't read you. And so sometimes she and I just, will I'll call her up. I'll say, hey, we need to, Playing house day, we get in bed and watch playing house. And that makes us feel better, honestly. But hashtag flawless. So my question is this though, when you're, um, I feel like so many other shows about friendship for women in particular, it's always like, oh, you know, friendship for women is important, but it seems like it's kind of a placeholder because everyone's looking for a boyfriend or a husband. And I feel like even like Sex in the City or some of the more popular um, women friendship shows, I'm like, you know, that's not really, uh, it, that sidebar I feel like is always there of, man, this is great and we're girlfriends, I'm going to call you, but if he calls me, I'm going to go over here with him. And so my question is when you guys write, is that something that's in the, the back of your head that you're making sure that's not what we want? Because I, I love that it's, that it's not a part of the show. I don't know if that's something you actually think about when you're writing. Well, first of all, I... Thank you so much for sharing that. And like, for me, TV was always something that I looked for for that comfort. You know, Gilmore Girls got me through a tough time. There's, you know, no short Anne of Green Gables. I mean, I'll throw that on and my husband's like, oh God, what happened? <laughs> and I'm like, eh, Anne. But so thank you. I'm so glad we could be there for you. And, and I'm th that, that means everything. That's the I'm only straight reason we're doing it. So am I. I'm like losing my mind. And also, I'm so sorry about both of the tough things you guys are going through. Because 
<laughs> Listen, he'll get you through a scrape, I'll tell you. Yes. I love that. At, um, at, the truth is, is we never have to keep ourselves in check because we're writing about what we're living. And the truth of the matter is, Lennon saved my life. And when I would go to chemo, uh, I, I froze... Lennon froze me from head to toe like a choice piece of holiday meat because we were up to all sorts of like... Well, chemo, you know, it's, it's no joke. It's not great. And it's not fun. And nobody wants to be there. And everything's sad. And you're on drugs. And, then, and I wanted then you to have go to, like, alone. you your scalp so you could keep your hair because, God damn it, look at this hair. <laughs> right? So you want to keep it. She kept like 70% of it. So we froze her scalp and we were freezing her fingers and toes for neuropathy, et cetera. Eyelashes, eyebrows, the whole nine yards. Yeah, so I'm just feeding her Cheez-Its and reading her from old Oprah magazines because that's what you do. You just show up, right? Like it's just, you, you just show up. And our husbands, yes, they, they are everything. wonderful and everything, yes. right? Our life partners and everything. But this is... You could, I mean, we couldn't do it. The without, one thing like, I remember a, is... the other thing about women, yeah. too, which is you just, you just do it. Do you know what I mean? Like, you show up. Like, when my daughter falls and knocks her fuck front, excuse me, front, <laughs> her front teeth because she's angry, she's throwing a tantrum and she slips on her mermaid dress. Like, who, who gets in there and is like, hold still so I can wash this. Everything's going to be fine. You know, like, the, the mom, right? And the dads are great, too. But, like, the, the, dads, the dads are good for, uh, for awesome other things as well. But, but they're built to take care... Women just, are built to take care of children, and then they take care of each other in that same way. And it's like, you always know that, but then when you hit your 40s and shit starts to get real, and you're like, oh... Lennon showed up and I didn't have to worry about Lennon. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I knew that she was there to take care of every need that I had in that moment and I couldn't have been more vulnerable, you know? And I didn't have to worry about her, you know? We do, you know, there's a tendency, and we'll wrap this up, guys, but at the, <laughs> uh, at the end of the season, the tendency is always, like, what's going to happen between her and Mark, right? Because that's the TV that we grew up watching, that, like, will they, won't she, won't they, like... Yeah, you and also, that. Keegan's sexy as hell. <laughs> yeah, so... You know, you, you lean into that and you crave that as well. But we always, we're always like, but it's got to end with us, right? Because that's, that's the, that's that's the, the love story. That's, that's the, the real love story. story. In the show. Yeah. So yeah. we do remind ourselves from time to time, but it's not, we don't often forget. <clears throat> yes. Yes, John. <laughs> I was at a, wake up, comment. I was at a doctor's office and I, with my grandma getting allergy testing. And um, she, um, there was a box on the form for like marital status and it felt real validating that there was one that said platonic life partner. Oh. And I was like, and I texted her and I was like, because all we want to do is be spinsters together. And it's, and it was real, it was like a real nice, like, well, there's that. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah, that's going to roll in. Platonic life partner panel, guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we can go back there Hi. Um, I just had a question for Mara because you talked a little bit about faith and on Girlfriends um, when Tony and Joan were in the church and Donna McClurkin was singing, that was like 
it was no talking, but it was so powerful. And like, I've gone through a lot with my best friend. I mean, nothing as crazy as Tony, <laughs> but like, it just kind of had me thinking about that kind of stuff. And like, basically my question is, is like, how did that scene come to be? And with him and singing, it was, it was so powerful. Yeah. Well, well th first of all, thank you. It's one of my favorites of Girlfriends. And how it came to be was, I mentioned earlier that the network asked for something big at the end of the first season. And, and then what's really saying is, do you want your show to come back or not? <laughs> and, you know, it was sort of like, we need something bigger. And I understood the business of it, as I shared before. I was driving, funny, driving, because we do live in LA. I was driving, and when um, I was listening to Donnie McClurkin, I was actually, um, when, I'm, when I'm scared, a lot of times I'll listen to gospel music and things of that, that nature. But I was listening to his album, and I was trying to, it was a couple of questions I was asking myself. Am I gonna play ball on this level? You can say, and who am I as a creator, showrunner, storyteller? Who am I? So I'm having that question with myself coupled with at the back of your mind. How do I give them what they want the way that I wanna tell it? That's why I kept asking, how do I give them what they want my way? That was my prayer, listening, listening. And it was, I was, I can tell you exactly where I was. Anybody from Los Angeles, I was on San Vicente headed toward the Beverly Center. <laughs> Or all good ideas. <laughs> yeah, 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 all yeah. I was and um, right before Hauser, <laughs> the song came on, and I remember this because I had to pull over, and I cried because I figured it out. The whole first six episodes flashed in my head how to do this, how to do the finale in season one, with Tony actually making a play for Jones Man. And being that horrible, to your point, like that's a lot to deal with. How can I let someone be that horrible on television? And I knew if I did it, I would get a second season. It would be a lot of chatter of maybe, I may have lost some people in between the two seasons. Um, but I knew how to do it. And it was with Donnie McClurkin. And I, so I went in for the end of the season. I said, I can do this. But these are the terms in which I need to do it. And um, I said, I need Donnie McClurkin. I need to. I need to have him. It's going to be. I need to shoot on location, which is a big deal in that episode. You know, it's a. It's a technically, my in the original vision of girlfriends. I wanted to be single camera, but they didn't give me the budget for single camera. But I always wrote it in that mind, and I had that spirit and that tone. But anyway, I asked for location, and I need to go to a church, and I needed Donnie McClurkin, and I needed. I needed that song cleared, and I needed to do it this way. And if we can't do it that way, then. I really don't know if I can do that finale. And, and so that's how I got it done. Amazing, thank you. Uh, yeah, we have some over here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm, uh, Jessica and Lennon. I was just wondering, what have you learned about your in real life friendship by putting it on screen for everybody else to see? I talked about this in therapy recently. <laughs> <laughs> No joke, because, you know, so uh, this is obviously the most personal season because we talk about, we, you know, we're taking, almost taking scenes from our real life and putting them. And before, it was always, you know, I don't know the essence of that, but not the real thing. And so it feels even more vulnerable because it's us, because we're talking about our 
friendship, because we're writing about our friendship, because we're breaking a story about our, you know what I mean? Like, it ha there's so many like filters that it has to go through, and it's so complicated, you know? And, and our real family and friends who also went through this together also have their own personal experiences of it, so we're all, you know, it's like, I don't know, it's, I don't know who's doing that, you know what I mean? If you, if you go through a hard thing in your life, you usually just do it the once and then, you know, live with the grief that gets smaller every day, hopefully. And when we write about it, you know, you're churning it up, but it feels different and new every time you do that. And also we, I think, got, got through, because, you know, when you show up, you don't think about it. You're not processing it. You're not, you're not it, feeling the emotion because you can't, because you just have to do the, do the stuff. So I think that it, it helped us a lot. Yeah, also I think um, for me what was interesting was I, I was asleep for so much of this experience <laughs> because I was, like literally when I went in and got rolled into surgery to get my new boobs, which are jamming. Um, <laughs> yeah, you, you feel it. I looked right out that way. You feel it. Um, <laughs> She'll show you. She's They're real phenomenal. proud of them. If anyone wants to see them after, no joke, I will show you them. But, but I, I didn't know what it was like for the caretakers in my life, for my husband and my best friends and Lennon. Like, so in the, scene, in the show, you know, they roll me out to surgery and, and Lennon, it's, Maggie is left alone and has to deal with that feeling. And so for me, I really got a, more of an insight as to what it was like for... Lennon to be a caretaker to me. And, I, and, and it is not a great job to have. Well, no, I mean... It's terrifying. All, you know, we've all been in a hospital waiting room. Uh, maybe you haven't, and God bless you. But it is a very specific feeling, a very, you know... So that was something that I thought was... I had not seen. Oh, the person going into surgery and then, like, the doctor... You know, like, you don't just see that, like, awkward waiting... <laughs> That, you know, or the person who's waiting, because you're always thinking about the person that's in surgery. So that was something, because I remember there being, my dad had a kidney transplant, and I remember that basically the entire church showed up in the waiting room just for me and my mom, you know? So that's, that's something that we were trying to capture. The greatest moment was they texted, my husband texted Lennon because the doctors came out and were so upset that my actual boobs were so small that they were trying to find an implant that was the same size. They had but ordered an implant that was too big because they just did it with eyes. And you a know? Sicilian grandmother in their 80s had had bigger boobs than me that they had operated on. So, so, so my husband's like, oh my God, Lennon, they're going to be bigger when she wakes up. Do you think she's going to be upset? And Lennon just texts back, oh, she's going to be all right. <laughs> But that's another thing. God, we talk so much. That's another thing <laughs> is, that, is, is that, she, you know, she wouldn't let me come to the surgery. No, I did not. She told me in the basement of Netflix. <laughs> um, that's a long story. But the, the, par the parking lot below Netflix, uh, she told me that she could not have me at the surgery. And I was like, what? Well, I didn't say it like that. I was like, yeah, you got it. Whatever, 
whatever is good for you is clever for me, Trevor, you know, or something insane. Because she said to me that she just needed to be strong, and if she saw me, she would lose it. So she just needed to focus on the task at hand. And I was like, Dan, can I just show up right after she goes into surgery, and then I'll get out of there before she comes out? But I just want to be there just in case anything goes down, you know. And then, uh, and he did. He was like, No, I'd rather be by myself. Totally cool. And then the next day when you were coming home, I was. I just showed up at the recovery center. I was like, I'm just gonna. I'm already here, guys. So. <laughs> Nobody yeah. can. So there were there, there were but moments like season, that we were learning Keegan about. And I tell Mark to not come to this. So a lot of times you'll see a scene between two characters, and we're really it's something that happened to Lenny, but we put it anyway. Boring snooze. Let's keep going. <laughs> Do we have time for? No, we don't. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So real quickly before we go, how many people are here with their best friends today? Some hands. Oh. Okay. That's amazing. I love that. I just think like, and that's the thing that I actually don't know how much you guys recognize. And I think you're hearing it a lot today, but like the thing about watching best friends on television is it actually gives you something that you relate to and you can aspire to. So thank to all of you for giving us that. Thank you to the volunteers of ATX. They are the best. Yes, they deserve your love and your praise. Thank you to Kevin, thank you to Jessica, thank you to Lennon, thank you to Mara, thank you to Jennifer. Thank you to all of you so much for being here. And guys, enjoy the rest of your festival. Thank you. This season of The TV Campfire is produced by ATX Television Festival in collaboration with Anthony Luciani and AJ Myers. For more information on this year's festival, go to atxfestival.com or check out our social media at ATX Festival.